0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars, listener Q&A show. He's the Q, Graham Goodwin. He's the Q. I'm the A, your week in sports cars, listener Q&A, brought to us by Cooper Tires. Absolutely love our friends at the Justice Brothers and the wonderful, wonderful folks, Graham, at torontomotorsports.com. Here we are again, two weeks in a row. My fault recording on a Sunday, absolute goal here. And I believe, schedule wise, things should get back on track to allow our normal work week recordings going forward. So, do apologize for the tardiness two weeks in a row. But we do have some good stuff to get through here in the midst of oh, the yeah. Indy 8 hour taking place. So, Tell us how you are doing, and tell us where we are starting.
1: Well, mate, I'm doing fine. It is a rather cool evening, Uh, and I mean that less in the South Californian sense, more in the it's bloody cold sense. Cool, man. Absolutely, in uh, uh, just south of London here. Uh, And packing and looking forward to what's going to be a long trip, Uh, Portimao for the European Le Mans series this coming weekend, and I will not be coming home uh, before heading out for two weeks in Bahrain, so the next three shows uh, we will have from uh, other shores, shall we say, and by the time we get to the third one, we'll know exactly who the champions are in the European Le Mans series and in the FIA World Insurance Championship as well, and I'm sure, I know, a lot of news to come in the meantime.
0: Well... Just say a big thank you to listener Daniel Summerskill, who just put together the Q&A package for us for the very first time, and we will do that going forward. So, Daniel, thank you. Someone who, coincidentally, Graham, never listened to the show, never written into the show, just found him on the streets milling about and uh, accepted your invitation to put together the Q&A. So, good on him.
1: Um, I think we're going to kick off with IMSA, Marshall. And so we are. And uh, the first one is going to come from Lundschneider, who says, how can there not be a penalty for Garcia taking out Oberlin, who is the class leader and well-involved in the season-long points championship competitive class, while Corvette is a participation trophy class? Why is Corvette refusing to even acknowledge the incident? This is VIR, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I don't have a specific answer. Lance, I have an assumed answer, and that assumption is based off of past history, and that is the, you paid the penalty with the deficit that came as a result of your behavior. It's the only thing I can guess. If we look back at that, and I would hope most of you have seen it, Bill Oberlin leading GTD, handful of laps left in the race, Antonio Garcia in the factory Corvette, doing his best to chase down his teammate and hopefully take the overall win from them, the streaking Tommy Milner and Nick Tandy effort. Threw it down the inside of Bill Oberlin. In turn one, got onto the curb. I don't know if that specifically is what caused the car to slew sideways, if that lack of grip, radical and instant lack of grip with the right front tire off of the, tarmac and onto the painted curb i don't know if that is exactly what caused the car to start to lurch sideways graham i think there was also just an excessive amount of speed nonetheless bill certainly did not give garcia a five lane wide pass to go through and take the corner and keep moving but i in my estimation thought that he left him enough room and Realize we're talking different classes here, but when you have one person who is not leading trying to pass someone who is, I tend to lean towards the person who is leading as the one holding the most rights. And so in this instance, (sighs) Garcia half-spinning, hitting Bill Arberlin, those cars going around. Bill then lost the race, had a flat tire, came back to pit lane. I mean, just... Went from 1st to 12th out of 15th. Already in danger of losing touch in the overall GTD championship, Graham. But Bill and his teammate Robbie Foley having gotten the car to 1st place and been running strongly in 1st place, we could definitely assume that minus uh, a Garcia-type accident, they would have gone on to win and would have certainly reasserted themselves In the championship frame, so I think that's where this just seems to have some extra importance. Where the non-call did seem a little bit strange. Uh, Again, I realize that in theory, Garcia penalized himself, lost any chance of winning the race. Yada yada yada. A lot of different ways to view an accident, Graham. Do you do it in complete isolation? I don't care who is leading, who is not. I don't care what the points happen to be and the ramifications. Just strictly looking at two clean cars, no branding, no team names, just as if they were ghosts and what happened. You could do that. I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that at all. I look at that and say, hey, Antonio, buddy, if you didn't get Bill in turn one, could have gotten him in turn two maybe turn three, turn four, that corner on that lap was not going to determine the outcome of the race for you. Period. End of sentence. Nonetheless, forced the issue, hit the leader in GTD, ruined the leader in GTD's day, and also effectively ended any title hopes for them. I don't think you just say, well, you paid your own price. I think you send some form of message. Some form of stiff penalty. I realize that, as Lance mentioned, the worst he could finish in the race was third, provided there was no disqualification. Not a lot of real severity to an action like that. So I wonder, Graham, if that is indeed where IMSA choosing to swallow the referee's whistle. I wonder if that's an area, uh, a teaching moment, if you want to call it that that was lost oh hey i realize you only got a podium's worth of entries in your class and you could in theory knock about pretty much anybody else you want and have no fear of finishing worse than third let me instill some of that fear right now and make sure that you don't go overly hard on others and other classes just because second place in a class of three doesn't suit you very well at the moment
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with a single word of that. I guess that also answers Alex Eichmann's follow-up question here, uh, asking what your thoughts are on how IMSA handles penalties for contact. He says he likes it that they let them race. Be surprised how many get called as no further action, and it is indeed the Corvette on BMW incident that brought that one to mind. Is this a general malaise? Is Is this an outlier? What do you think?
0: I look at it as an outlier, Alex. I do prefer Bo Barfield's race directing style, his directorial efforts. He is not one constantly looking to penalize. And I appreciate that. Bit of a separation here, Graham, obviously, if we're talking procedure. Hey, you had too many people over the wall for the, the pit stop, or you did something, again, strictly procedural error. I understand those penalties. That, that's fairly cut and dry. But really the on-track part that Alex is referring to. I do appreciate Bose's overall approach. It's going to be some contact. These vehicles, while not always perfectly matched, are subject to balance of performance rules. Therefore, in theory, you're going to have a lot of cars running nearly identical lap times, performing at nearly identical levels big separations on track not something we see a ton of or by BOP edict something we're really supposed to see so it's natural to me then to see drivers trading paint knocking others about a little bit cheap shots though just punches below the belt and all kinds of things where you go okay we as fans, we as race control, we as reporters, think we're pretty good at telling the difference between, yeah, it was a little rough, but hey, you know, they're both fighting for it and went down the inside and uh didn't like that too much, but it it worked. Versus, hey, you just took the guy out. Hey, that was asinine. There was no reason to do that. I don't think it's that hard to separate between the two. And so viewing things through Bo's actions or inactions, he tends to lean towards the, okay, you can rough each other up a little bit. I'm going to turn a blind eye. If you start to really act out and go too hard, too aggressive, too stupid, that's when I'm going to step in, which then makes this a bit of an aberration where it seemed like this was an obvious thing to step in and say, even if I'm not so much penalizing you, Antonio Garcia and the Corvette team, Super harshly for this one incident, I'm sending a bigger message that you really do need to think about who you're passing, where you're passing, and what position you're in when you're doing it. And if this is a, if I don't get by him here, uh, my day is ruined type thing, that kind of desperation, it still wouldn't make it any better, Graham, but at least there'd be a better understanding. This just had no place. There was no need for it. It was going to earn Antonio nothing in that moment. And there were indeed enough laps for him, provided he still had the speed over those final laps to potentially draw closer and maybe pass his teammate. If Corvette Racing would sanction that with one lap to go or two laps to go. So a surprise. That was my biggest takeaway. Ooh. And it wasn't so much with IMSA and race control. It was Garcia. Garcia. I just don't recall a ton of those type of mistakes from Antonio over the years. Uh, Uncharacteristic. So maybe that factored in. Who knows? Uh, Again, I I can't tell you. But yeah, that was the big shocker. Huh, that's not a Garcia-type move we normally see like that. So yeah, surprise all the way around.
1: Indeed. Uh, Moving on from that, uh, Doogie Davis... Has a question it says, gents, could we see the new LMDH from Alpine run in the US under a different mark, much like Peugeot potentially looking to run their LMH under a brand that's sold in the US? Understands it most uh, would most likely not be a full season, but center could make sense as a first test before the WEC begins. Um, I, I'll, I'll my first temp anything in terms of different brands. I think it's unlikely. It is the same There's no family, of course, as the Nissan. Um, but could they? Might they do Daytona as a bit of a kind of publicity splurge and a warm-up? What do you think?
0: It'd be smart. If we're talking about race miles, it would be a very intelligent thing. Um, if it were under the guise of a one-off something along the lines of we're prepping for full WEC calendar again would anyone really truly care if there was a rebranding exercise specifically for daytona as a nissan maybe knowing nissan usa's aversion to motor racing over the last number of years it would come as a surprise i mean there's amazing history graham that many of us know about in terms of Mm -hmm. nissan prototypes north america and imsa would there be any sentimentality to see a nissan lmdh running in 2023 at daytona even though it was an alpine and blah 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 i don't know i don't think there are any real heartstrings to pluck with that move so Do I like the idea of them doing it as a warm-up? Absolutely. If they don't, I'd be surprised. It'd be very smart on their part. The branding, though, eh, come over here as an Alpine. How's this? Winning Daytona, knowing that it does have international promotional uh, provenance and appeal. The thought of an Alpine potentially winning or being on the podium at the big 24-hour race in Daytona. I'm thinking that's something that could be promoted by Alpine uh, in Europe and throughout the rest of the world, instead of it being locked into a Nissan-type thing in North America.
1: Tend to agree. Well, tend to agree with that one. Uh, next up, and it's about uh, Detroit. We tend to get a lot of questions about this Detroit race. You know, and it it's a new category,
0: me. by the way, starting next
1: week. <laughs> Tim Glass says, with IndyCar, a single event in Detroit, any chance for a longer IMSA race? that's been what hundred minutes there
0: yeah before it's a great question tim don't have an answer i would be
1: curious
0: to understand if or how or why and would indeed change the uh the duration of the race not because of the the change in double header in theory freeing up some time on saturday for them but knowing that their race at long beach part of the long beach single event IndyCar weekend is also 100 minutes. So my guess is no. And my guess is they have held to this 100-minute street race format, knowing the uh, accidents in the RG and the Bargy that can sometimes happen. I do like the idea of making it 100 minutes instead of uh, nearly three-hour standard length. I don't know how many cars would be left uh, in that uh, circumstance, Graham, so... I don't think so, Tim.
1: Okay, we crack on. And final one before you get to decide whether or not you want a bit of a grab bag comes from Bryn Smith, who has read Stephen Kilby's, he says, insightful article about Harry Ticknell. Uh, that featured on Delhi Sports Car, and I think he did a version of that for Racer as well. He's followed Harry's career, he says, from his F3 days. Which direction do you both see the next step for Harry going on both sides of the pond? Hashtag me personally. I think he deserves a top factory drive. I'll answer this one quickly. Um, if he doesn't get one, I'll be both surprised, and I will... Uh, Offer the opinion that we would be mistake on those that have overlooked him. Uh, as for where he goes, I know there's a lot of assumption he'll go to Audi for a variety of reasons, but um, he is at the moment contracted to Multimatic. That brings the potential for Porsche into the mix. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't a hot property MP.
0: Everything that Graham's mentioned, things that I've written about, Bryn, I wish that I had further insight I do know that there's a general feeling that if Harry wants to be an Audi driver that that could be made possible. I also know that there is an underlying need, which feels like a need from him at this stage of his career to be coveted by other manufacturers. I would say it's almost akin, as I receive it, As a second generation driver driving for their parent if I think of IndyCar Marco Andretti comes to mind his father Michael Andretti one of the greatest to ever do it Uh, employing his son his son very good at finding sponsors I think two victories over 10, 12, 14 years Not particularly adept at succeeding on his own, uh, if we're talking about measuring up to his father. Again, one of the all-time greats. Not saying that Harry is in that similar position with his manager, Alan McNish, and measuring himself against him. But I would say there is a little bit of that feel of Marco Andretti that we heard about year after year, uh, thinking about maybe going to another team. Uh, showing the world that despite whatever did or did not happen under his father's roof, he could go somewhere else and succeed and really stand out and be his own person and be hailed as such. Just have a little bit of that vibe here with Harry of knowing the McNish and Audi ties, knowing that Alan is now his manager, is now the team principal for this Audi LMDH effort. Just get the vibe. Don't know if it's accurate, but just get the vibe, Graham, that driving for Audi, if that's the best thing on the table, I think that's what he would do. But if he were able to pique the interest of a Porsche or a, add one of the other manufacturers and get hired there and perform well there, I think there's a little bit of showing folks that he is his own person, not just uh, the wee Scots uh, instrument to be placed wherever the, we scott says he should be so it's a a fascinating thing has nothing to do with driving the car graham it's about how one is seen and received and positioning yourself and maybe your future legacy in the sport where you believe it needs to be maybe thinking it's just off a little bit right now so yeah uh, i don't know if that answers the question directly Bryn but maybe it answers some of the motivation.
1: I think that's a perfectly fair comment. So we've got a few more in a grab bag. You want to grab a couple before we move on to Wekazm's Elms and Echo.
0: I would love to if my mouse would comply and be my friend. <laughs> uh, Seamus Cunningham. how are you doing, Seamus? Any new info about Dodge rebranding the Peugeot uh, 90X for IMSA? Haven't heard anything about Dodge rebranding the peugeot if anything it would be peugeot deciding to do that and to compete here haven't heard anything brand new i uh, would say we're still quite a ways away from this seamus but i am certainly one of many truly hoping 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 that uh this all uh pans out where we do get that uh, beautiful french creation over here to play under any branding uh so yeah i i Definitely think we're going to see that here. We already mentioned about the Alpine and whatnot. Um, I think we're going to have a pretty amazing Daytona in 2023, Mr. Goodwin, for sure. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we go to Nicholas Kahoot. Now, maybe I have missed something here, but he says, with uh, Sebastian Bourdais announced for uh, Chip Ganassi Racing's Cadillac program next year, paired with Renger, how will driving style, an understeer preference matchup with Renger's driving style. Has there been a formal announcement, Graham, from Cadillac? Nope. I haven't seen it. So, Lots of leaking. I Lots mean, I know that I there. wrote that uh, it's expected to be confirmed, and I think others have, but I uh, do not believe there's been any formal announcement. Interesting question yet again, Nicholas. Um, I think this is going to be something where We're going to have to see how much compromise these two can come up with and to then be happy. Uh, Renger is a phenomenal sports car driver. Attacking style for sure is something that I know that I've loved to watch. Many have for quite some time. Uh, At the same time is Bourdais any less (laughs) of an attacking guy and, and a flat out driver. So I don't want to say that I I am aware that Renger loves the tail of the car floating around and moving. Um, Obviously, he's able to make great speed with the car. I just don't recall him constantly uh, feeding opposite lock into the thing in order to make all of his speed. So this is where I am certainly curious to watch and learn more about. It's going to be a story to write for sure, Nicholas. What I don't know, though, is how close they are or how far away they are. can tell you that with the Cadillac, one of the things that the Ganassi team has been very forthright in saying, and Graham, you might have heard this as well, with this LMDH formula coming up, with the DPI formula that we have right now, they're no longer looking for sports car specialists mm-hmm. granted uh, the majority of the drivers that will be competing for them. We can say have certainly distinguished themselves in sports cars, but they are looking for open wheelers. Uh, those with big attacking F1 indie car, similar type open wheel experience, because that approach is what they have determined is the best fit for this current formula and what we believe the evolution of this formula is going to be when it goes hybrid and a little over a year from now. So I do find that part interesting. And if you look at someone like Alex Lynn, who we believe is going to drive knowing his open wheel uh, history and experience on top of the prototypes as well. Uh, We look at Earl Bamber, certainly not as much open wheel experience, but he's shown his capabilities and portion 919 hybrids and other things where we know what he brings to the party. But I do find it interesting uh, if, if Ganassi had to start from scratch and hiring drivers, I do think you would find uh, a lot of X Formula One or X IndyCar placed in front of their names when describing them. And that does represent a, uh, a very unique appro- shift in approach the hiring process with these modern prototypes and with Absolutely. that Are we re- you tell me where we're going
1: well gonna, let's gonna, go gonna, to warehouse themselves gonna... um, and at this point we shift seamlessly to a point where you throw them at me
0: so i go over to the uk and sit in your seat and then you come over here and sit in mine right you can i'll be right back yeah yep. okay here we go uh comfy seat graham i like this not as squeaky as it was Ooh, before i guess we got some uh tricky. jb80 uh to get rid of those squeaks <laughs> want to go to our pal jordan hopwood says hey guys hope all's well says will the gt class in the wc graham retain its fi world championship status when it goes to gt3 based pro-am entries uh, jordan says hashtag me personally doesn't feel right for prem lineups to be awarded something as prestigious as a world championship um that would be for the best of the best in terms of gt drivers they're the only ones who deserve that i wouldn't like seeing say the igtc or something like it evolve to a point to where it could have world championship status tell us what to think what you know
1: well there's two parts here aren't there there's a manufacturer's element and there's a driver's element and you're quite correct jordan the driver's champions in the gte class since uh was it 2016 something like that uh 20 uh, maybe a little later uh, are indeed fia world drivers champions um tend to agree with you in a pro-am class that seems a little odd uh and it would certainly seem to be odd and this is where i slightly divert from your view that if you've got a full pro class in another global product and that would be the IGTC that they're not the world champion but the ones who win in Pro-Am are by dint of being in a world championship race it's a bit odd it's kind of semi-formed at the moment uh, I think there's still a bit to go we've said before on the show that you know I've certainly said before I think a mistake has been made in terms of not allowing the market to uh, openly decide on this I'm sure Porsche and Ferrari have decided on this um, that uh, they're perfectly happy to go that way because of course they've got a player in the top class I would have preferred to have seen uh, a call go out publicly or otherwise to say we'll go with a pro class only if we get name number of cars um, for a full season committed by name date uh, put line in the sand there I uh, I've not heard one way or the other. It would be a surprise if it retained an FIA world championship status, certainly for the driver's side of things, um, with a program class. That would be a pretty significant shift uh, in the FIA sands. The, they tend to guard their world championship status very jealously uh, indeed. Do I think it might go to the IGTC? I don't, and I don't, because with an FIA World Championship uh, status comes a pretty hefty bill, and I don't think that's something that anybody have, uh, aligned to the IGTC is in any hurry to encourage them to levy in their direction. Certainly, as they recover from, you know, what's been a pretty big hit to the IGTC, and we you know, we're recording this as. Round two of the IGTC this year is taking place on the 17th of October. There you go. Um, that's how hard it's been hit. So lots still to be determined at this point. I would be surprised if that Drivers' World Championship survives those changes.
0: going to need you to take the next question because I'm rebooting my computer
1: perfectly fine that one comes from trevor gagola and it's uh, it's sort of aligned with that one has there been an announcement or speculation on the GTEs sticking around in elms for 2022 23 24 25 or is there a different timetable for elms to bring them in uh, gt3 um no announcement uh my, my speculation is that it will be aligned with the wec and the principal reason for that of course is the is that uh, the top two cars, if we continue on the same kind of numbers, the LMS, as we've currently got, top two cars in the championship, those teams will be invited to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Of course, not particularly that different to the Asian Mans series that already runs with GT3 cars. That at times, that does mean that uh, the teams have to make some choices as to where they're going to go for their chosen brand of car. But I would have thought that the most sensible way to do it is to have a clean break, a hard break um, at the point at which it all changes. And for for avoidance of doubt at the moment, that means we carry on into 2022 with GTE Pro and GTE M in the WEC with GTE in the ELMS. Uh, and by the way, for a further avoidance of doubt, i suspect we'll get more than the uh, regular four full season cars in gte pro for its final year because it will indeed be a final year 2023 we have gte cars but gte am only and i expect that that will be the same with the european le mans series and in 2024 uh, we move to a gt3 based formula that's the way in which it's been uh, relate to us at the moment, which will be uh, pro-am only uh, in the GT classes for the WEC. My guess uh, is that that will be exactly the same in the European Le Mans series. Why? Because it makes sense to do it all at the same time rather than uh, having to mess about with with a single um, championship, with a single class, because it would then be an outlier. There would be no GT cars running anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, in competitive form. IMSA will have got rid of them. Of course, for next year, uh, Asian Le is has uh, never had them, and the WEC would have got rid of them. So it doesn't make sense to carry on with the LMS that way. Are you back up and running, MP? Not yet. Grab That's one okay. more, please. Uh, no worries. Uh, we'll go for you, Matthew License says, Audi is slowly starting to reveal their driver lineups. They did indeed in slightly odd fashion. When will we expect to hear about Porsche and other teams? Maybe their night of champions? Possible? Tell so folks what we know about already. what they revealed, brother. What, what they've revealed, and it was all a bit odd because it, it sort of came out of the blue. Uh, Nico Muller, Swiss driver, was the first to reveal that he had been selected uh, by Audi, um, and he did that uh, on social media. There was then a gap... Before there was a further social media post, not a press release, certainly not that I've seen, uh, that announced that he and Rennie Rast had been named as the first two drivers for the, uh, we guess they're both factory um LMDH drivers, that means they would have to be in the WEC because we already know now that Audi will not be having a full-season LMDH effort in the United States. They will uh, likely go go and do some of the bigger races, but there will not be a factory team, per se, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So Rast and Nico Muller, it is for that. There's at least one other driver that I know both you and I have been told is likely to be, Um, a shoe-in for an Audi seat. But what we don't yet know, MP, is whether or not some of those kind of rumours that are out there were (sighs) predicated at the point at which there there was likely to be a Audi factory effort in North America, which is now no longer the case. doesn't mean to say that Audi, by the way, won't play some drivers, uh, but uh, certainly as far as we're aware at the moment, Nico Muller, René Rast, the first two names, of the frame for Audi. As to when we'll hear about Porsche, it's possible. Bearing in mind that we're going to start to get, uh, I think they they promised that their uh, test mule would be up and running next month, if I remember rightly. End in of December. Point. End of December, right? Okay, um, that won't be the final uh, final product for Porsche, but at some point we will start to hear. The the general tendency for Porsche is to make a full announcement. And I think your call on Night of Champions could be a good one. Uh, You've got to ask yourself, what else have Porsche actually got to announce um, at the end of this year? There's not a whole heap of difference coming into next year, aside from GTD Pro uh, in IMSA racing, so it may well be that they decide to make it very clear. The one other reason why Night of Champions MP makes sense as a timetable for that, that will normally be December, timing's good for that, is that if we are going to start to be talking about uh, cars out there and the potential for spy shots, etc, etc, these will be Porsche factory drivers. Porsche do like to have their, driver fact- their factory driver roster out there front and centre, um, you know, at the beginning of their racing year. So, um, do I know it's going to come then? No. Do I suspect you're right, Matthew? I suspect very much that you are.
0: All right. I feel happy. My computer is being my friend again. <laughs> um, let's see. I don't know. Do you want to roll in uh, Gustavo's question right after that on Audi drivers? Maybe. I can do that.
1: Gust- Gustavo Bamba, uh, Gustavo Bamba uh, asking Is Audi uh, interested in YeFAye? Uh, because of searching for Chinese sponsors for their program. Um, If they're smart, they'll be looking at Yifeye. I think he's done a very, very good job. I zero doubt he will not be a silver-ranked driver next year. I think there's a number of drivers. We're going to see some significant shifts in the driver ranking rankings uh, this coming year. And remember, some of those will, be, will have been a little delayed because there was very limited changes made last year. So I think we're going to see some pretty seismic shifts, and they're coming quite soon as well. Uh, so, um, are, are Audi specifically interested? Don't know. I think you'd need to look at who manages Yifeye and uh, who manages Yifeye is... New Yarni's dad uh, manages Yifeye, and in fact, Ye lives with the Yarny family uh, in Switzerland and has done since he made uh, the trip over to pursue his career in motorsport from his homeland to Europe some years ago. So um, it would not be a surprise to hear and see his name um, linked in with a number of those brands. Uh, Do I think he's shooing anywhere? No, I don't. I think he's got still to prove his worth. He's done that, of course, with uh, a fantastic run at Le Mans and the bitter goal that followed at the end of that and a European Le Mans series winning run with WRT. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, off-season for a number of drivers, and I think he may well be one of them. Uh, Well spotted, by the way, that he is... You know, it's something in emerging talents, and uh, I think sports cars suits his style very well indeed. Any more you want to grab below,
0: and I appreciate his uh, use of this. Daniel Summersgill Red Line of Death. The red category. line of death
1: below red line of death yes uh, but it's another one from Matthew license who says VLN are in producing hybrid classes he says presumably GT cars how long until we see hybrid GTs at them on, or will SRO beat them to the punch uh, well this is VLN announcing that next year they will have uh, classes for both hybrid and EV vehicles for the Nürburgring long distance championship so these are four and six hour races around the Nürburgring um We've not yet seen any more than that. We do know there was a race version of the BMW i8. Uh, There was the publicity vehicle for this announcement. So we don't yet know, although I think we can suspect that we're talking here about very much more production-based cars, you know, less GT3, more kind of cup kind of level of performance. Um, But we wait with bated breath exactly what those regulations are going to show. As for when we'll get that technology in mainstream homologated GT cars, it ju- i mean, t- to my, I don't know about you, MP, but for, to my absolute surprise, it just doesn't seem to be any time soon.
0: No, I wish I had some great insight to offer here, but no, I uh, yeah, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, but there you go. So I think the answer is VLN. I think has stolen a march here. We've the other one that's actually out in the offing at the moment is, and I'm sure I know there are questions later on about DTM. But DTM pushing forward. Oh, there's questions forward. about them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I I can't wait to get stuck into that one. Um, but they're DTM electric. The the big change there is one. It's a year later, and sorry. The second big change is. That it's now been made clear that this is not a replacement for DTM, but it is a second series to sit alongside the mainstream DTM. So that's a fundamental change. That is not what they initially said they were going to do. So, um, and this is for effectively a spec chassis that the manufacturers can make look like it's but uh, like it's road going product. Um, sounds very familiar to something else, on MDH. Um, that's uh, visually that would be the case but uh no i think vln have stolen a bit of a march there and uh good luck to them as for the rest of them how soon can we expect the peugeot 9x8 to be on track testing wing or no wing what are our predictions well i can tell you what i've been told um it will test with no rear wing and uh what the technical director told me at the presentation we had at monza some months ago was all of the uh, the computer simulation that they've done showed they got it right with no rear wing. That is how the car will test. If they find in testing that the simulation data is not replicated and it's, there seems to be uh, a, sh- a shift towards the fact that a rear wing might prove to be uh, the, the the better option, then that's what they will test and that's what they will do. Quite what effect that might have in terms of any delay in the program, I think remains to be seen. As for when we can start to see this car, I think we're, well, I think we've got engines on dynos already. Um, watch this space. I think we're going to see an awful lot of spy shots MP in the next let's say six to eight months. Um, it's an exciting time as we start to see Muletta here bits of car there you know uh something that might or might not be the finished product but it, it, there's all sorts of things so it's been a while since we've had that kind of scene with uh sports car racing so the answer is i think weeks not months before the peugeot is running around somewhere in sh- some way shape or form uh last couple uh, and we've got jonathan wesley says just how good do you think Lawrence Her is watching online from afar uh, this season, he'd say he's the best talent to emerge from the lmp 3 class since its formation. He even edges out Job von Utert on that front, who he thought was outstanding in his lmp 3 rookie season. Do I have any insights? I think watched his efforts trackside, how does he seem in person? Sadly, we've not had much chance to have face-to-face with anybody. But I have spoke to Laurence previously on a number of occasions. Um, he's growing up a lot. I think uh, something has been unlocked this season. He has taken a significant leap forward and has leapfrogged without a shadow of a doubt a number of other drivers that you would have had to have said a year or two years ago he was sort of on a level playing field with. I have zero doubt we'll see Lance Her in an LMP2 car uh, in 2022. No doubt whatsoever that that's going to be the case. Uh, we've got all sorts of interesting stuff going on uh, going on, uh, doing the rounds at the moment in terms of which teams will do what um, you know, in the European Le Mans series, in IMSA, in the WEC. I think we're going to see a mild uptick in terms of numbers in LMP2 across the board. And I think we're going to see something of a recasting of where those teams ply their trade. There will definitely be uh, at least a couple of new takers for LMP2 um, moving up from LMP3 and from GT even, uh, people coming in from outside. We already know uh, a couple of uh, changes that are going to happen with the WEC. We know the Prema Power Team have confirmed that they're coming uh, linked in with Iron Links for an effort there. There's the rumour that we might see Penske joining the WEC in LMP2. We know there's going to be a doubling of the effort from United Autosports in WEC. Rumor is that there'll be a two-car effort from WRT as well. So there's all sorts of things up in the air there. To backfill um, with the ELMS, I am expecting to see some new blood teams and drivers uh, in the European Le Mans Series next year, and I expect there to be broadly similar numbers. So that's north of a dozen lmp two-cars for the European Le Mans Series next year as well. There's plenty of news that will be emerging um, from the Portimao season finale, and that comes next weekend. So, if you like a bit of uh, intel on what's going on, keep an eye out from about Thursday, Friday onwards. Uh, and I reckon you'll start to see a number of teams declaring an interest in doing things they're not currently doing. Uh, that might be just about it, other than Gregor Spotrich, uh, who I completely mangle every time. Could Richard Meal and Signatec Alpine consider running an all female crew at Le Mans in 2024 as an additional Alpine entry? Uh, I think it depends what they want to do in 2024. I think most of the questions are about what they might want to do in 2023. Do I think they might do something in 2023 with that all-female um, effort under the Alpine banner? They might. Uh, the Richard Mille racing thing is another Signatech program, of course. Do I think we might see an LMDH that is all-female? It's distinctly possible that that might be the case. I think we've got other news still to come, including new stateside about all-female crews, uh, in, you know, interesting all-female crews in all sorts of uh, different ways. And I think it's very healthy that we're hearing more about that. It is something that in the background I can tell you I've had more than one conversation with more than one team of which more than one are not currently running uh, all-female crews. Um, the key in this era of pro-am racing MP is something of a, of a shortage of truly top-line um, professional talents that could go head-to-head with the well-established guys, particularly in GT cars. And there's a big shortage of the bronze-ranked drivers. And that tends to be, and this, by the way, came from the Iron Dames team, uh, long chat with them earlier in the year, and their biggest issue is finding talented female drivers that are still driving a little later in life when they will be ranked as bronze and that's simply because the way society has worked through all of our lives which is if you come into racing and you're reasonably good at it at some point you've either got to stick or fold and what is going to cause you to stick or fold and the realities for most men and most women are very different, and the very different part with most women is very many women is that family life impacts on their choices in a very different way than it does for the male side of that uh, of that equation. Say no more than that; it just means that a lot more women, proportionately, leave the sport than men do uh, through that that period of their life, you know, with its late twenties into the thirties, um, and you've lost a lot of that potential talent by the time they could be coming back as a bronze ranked driver. That's one of the big challenges for teams looking to put together a GT team, an lmp and two team, uh, as they try to work their way forward in terms of the pro-am mix that is required. And particularly when you think about what a bronze driver does in many instances, the financial driving force behind those efforts. Where do we go next? I think we're going to kick into Herr General because there's two big issues kicking around uh, her General. In fact, there's three. I'm going to tell you what the issues are first because I think we're going to get stuck into all three of them. One is driver rankings. Uh, one is the Bathurst 12-hour date clash, which I've had some extraordinary conversations with a couple of people over the last couple of days with this one. And the third one, it's the one I'm going to suggest we get into first – because I think it's going to be the most fun, mm. is is DTM. Now, I don't know if you watched it, um, the Nor- Norris Ring um, MP. Did not. I did. Right, okay.
0: Um, You're leading this one, but I can just tell you that by the tone of the questions... Oh, this is a fun one. So why don't I hurl a couple of the DTMers yep. at you? Let's do it. Uh, Kelvin Vanderlyn, by the way. Um, does he receive the bushu's hammer emporium hammer upside the head award not, we're going to find out you're going to tell us here you're the judge <laughs> and jury and you're all kinds of stuff uh ian keyworth chaps thoughts on the recent dtm quote team orders to from mercedes and what's your overall view of the first gt3 regulation season in dtm uh form 5411 says thoughts on mercedes orders for winward to step aside for hrt's gets to take the title Mashtag me personally, they hated it, not Maxi's fault, obviously. does taint, but does it taint it. Also Kelvin Vanderlyn's move on Lawson, clumsily desperate or planned. I think KVL's too good for slop like that, but uh, John Schultz, can you recall any sports car season finale? that was worse than the, uh, DTMs. Uh, we'll stop there. Nikolai B you weigh in and a few others do, but I don't want to load you up with too much stuff in the beginning, okay. but set the stage. What happened? What, what, what was ass Hatterish about this?
1: Okay. Well, for those that don't know DTM this year, first season with GT three machinery, sprint races, single driver, it almost <laughs> writes its own script, doesn't it? Um, so for the most part, full pro drivers in good teams with great cars, uh, Norris Ring, um, which, if you, again, if you're not familiar with it, it is a short, very quick, dangerous, concrete-walled street track around, there's no simple way of saying it, the area of Nuremberg, uh, which was... Uh, that's what it is. Um, it is a beloved site for for lovers of the DTM, And what we saw, we'll we'll talk about race two because that's where this all unfolded. Turn one or turn two, depending on the way you want to describe it, uh, the two Ferraris, Liam Lawson, who was leading the championship, looking for the apex, off the track entirely, Kelvin van der Linde uh, up the inside and uh, smashed into the side of the Ferrari, which then blocked the... Route forward for the second Ferrari in the hands of Nick Cassidy. Both of those cars delayed. Liam Lawson's car damaged, uh, pit stop, still carrying some steering damage. Carried on, carried on, carried on, and possibly could even have still won it despite the fact he was 20 seconds a lap slower than the leading cars simply because of the um, the uh, the points advantage he carried into the final round. Uh, Van uh equally well delayed and then was penalized later on again for, uh, there was another clash which he got, a, he got a puncture. I think that was actually a clash with Gertz from memory. So Maxi Gertz coming into the final stages, uh, running third would not have been good enough for the title. And bluntly, Mercedes-Benz asked for the two windward cars which were ahead of him to slow. Um, one of them didn't need to slow very much. The other one needed to slow very dramatically indeed. Hi, Rocky. As Rosie. Um, and, as Rosie? Hi, yeah, Rosie. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, Maxi Goertz was allowed through to win the title. Quite correct, by the way. I can't remember which of our question as it was. Not down to Maxi Goertz that happened. So let's get into it. Kelvin van der Linde, it was a dumbass move. It's not Calvin's way. I have no idea what was going on there other than pressure. It's as simple as that. He did come out publicly and make his apology. And that's what it was. It was an apology. And I think he was correct to do that. Uh, We, of course, before we got to that point, had uh, the Internet piling it on him in its traditionally awful way. We really do need, you know, as a species to take a step away from ourselves on social media and start to learn a few bloody lessons, don't we, about just general human on human behavior. It doesn't matter what your view is of someone's individual behavior coming out and being just generally awful. About time we all grew out of that one. But let's put that one to one side. So yes, Kelvin van der Linde made a hash of it. He came out and uh, and he apologised for it. Um, and by the way, I'm going to come back and refer at the end of this lot MP to the, the very first questions we took about race control. Liam Lawson, uh, young man, 19, I think, would have been the youngest DTM driver uh, champion ever. Would have been Ferrari's first win in the DTM ever, um, and as you can well imagine, uh, the combination of Ferrari and the Red Bull family was not a healthy one in terms of them being understanding in those circumstances. Uh, Liam Lawson looked like someone had shot his dog at the end of that race. I don't blame him. It's a straight answer. Um, has made it reasonably clear, I think he doesn't want to return to DTM that that style of racing is not for him. I'm not sure. I disagree with him about that one either. Um, was not magnanimous in defeat. I think it's fair to say, Um, bearing in mind the number of hits, literal and um, otherwise that he had to take on that day. I don't suppose I really blame him either. Team orders, it never goes well, does it? I mean, team orders never plays well for the manufacturer Mm. involved in it. And in an era where there is less manufacturer input i have to say the bluntness of it whilst not surprising was pretty shocking um it is ironic in the extreme that we end up with team orders affecting a championship that is being determined between red bull and mercedes um and you say that with with kind of irony and a bit of a grin on my face but uh, from liam lawson's point of view just not funny been taken out of turn one and then shafted uh, within the last 10 minutes of the race. We then come to the all encompassing point here MP, which is the response from the championship was deafening in its absence. The uh, action taken on the day, frankly pathetic. I mean, you look at what happened with Antonio Garcia and Bill Oberlin. That was a 10th of what we're talking about here in terms of bad behavior on track deafening right up until the point where clearly somebody did a little bit of the research and found out what most of the motorsport world was talking about the dtm and saying that was a barrel of crap is what that was as a series finale and at that point um gerhard berger and everybody came out and said how awful this was and how this should never be able to happen again and blah 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 here's the thing if you promote your championship, as the biggest, most expensive demolition derby on the planet, and then it happens, and then you reap the benefits because you're drawing people in because it's Smash Bang Wallet, what a picture, and then you allow other people to influence that show to the point where they've massaged the results so that the the champion really shouldn't have won that championship, Um, then at some point, somebody's gonna notice, and it's gonna be those very same people in those numbers that are getting stuck in on social media, because now they can be heard. And in previous years, of course they couldn't be. Uh, if they're making it very clear, we don't like the way this is actually going forward. Then you better be quicker than you were that weekend. Gerhard, my friend, because that was not good enough as a corporate response, a crisis management response. It was, and I don't use this phrase lightly, piss poor, It really was not good enough that that was the answer that you gave days later after allowing uh, drivers to be abused uh, on social media, after allowing the results of the championship to be massaged by one manufacturer, after allowing the championship leader to be effectively barged out of the race with next to no um, consequences for the team and the driver that did so that's what you get and you've now got a massive mountain to climb DTM in terms of your credibility because it was indeed as John Schultz said one of the worst sports car season finales that I've ever witnessed I don't ever want to see it again Yikes <laughs> <laughs> Let's It was see. that good MP uh,
0: Where shall we go uh, Nikolai talking about the uh aforementioned to clash uh nikolai b saying have you heard any feedback from drivers and teams about the uh shooting yourself in the foot decision to move the Bathurst 12 hour to clash with sebring which also clashes with an indycar race too although again sebring doesn't clash with anything others chose to clash with them uh nikolai says are they trying to stomp out any international interest in the race uh, Damien Peachman takes us and says, uh, how realistic is a return of the uh, Bathurst 12-hour in yeah. 2022? Okay. So, anyways, uh, just uh, comment.
1: I'll say this much. I'm pretty certain it won't happen on that date, is the straight answer. And I was pretty certain almost at the point at which he was made. The really weird part of it is that I've seen two comments now made by Uh, Stefan Rattel, that say that date was selected by supercars. The supercars, uh, the uh, uh, AKA V8 supercars, effectively own the promotion of that event. Now, here's the really weird part of it. I've now spoken to two people, LinkedIn, with the other side of this, who both say that's not correct. That was not a date selected by supercars. In fact, supercars were not consulted before that date was announced so something's gone horribly wrong here between sro and supercars it needs to be fixed so um i think the more realistic date is likely to be at the very end of february now that causes a few other issues and a few other uh, a few other ways but this one I, I must admit i'm not quite sure who should be more embarrassed in this situation whether or not it's Stefan Ritzel announcing a date that I don't think is going to stand, that then clashed with the second blue Ribbon event of the WEC with Pierre Fionn and Frederick Likian sitting in the front row of his press conference. That's a very odd thing to do uh, indeed. And when I was listening to that and, and heard the date and thought, really? Um, I'm hoping, I'll probably find out on the weekend, whether or not those two gentlemen knew that that was going to be announced before they were told. Uh, But that doesn't strike me in an era where the sport is trying to gather what they can by way of industry goodwill. To have two events of that, in fact, in this case, three events of that standing uh, over the same weekend is just not a very smart thing to do. So first things first, don't think it's going to happen on that weekend. Uh, Second thing second, there's something very odd about the way that uh, that announcement was actually made. And there seems to be a division of a point of view between uh, whose choice that date uh, that was announced was in the first place. Um, The other point, though, from Damien is how realistic is a return to Bathurst 12 in 2022? It's getting better. And I sort of feel (sighs) that what's going on in Australia at the moment is... It's pretty sad for the people involved that are either there that want to get out or aren't there that want to get in. Um, but in terms of the internationalization of those events, again, it looks at the moment quite a stretch, doesn't it? Things could change very quickly. There's no doubt about that. Um, I certainly am not putting my money down on an air ticket right right now. It's a straight answer. Um, and we'll just have to hashtag wait and see how that one pans out. The final uh, point, and by the way, it was the other thing that uh, there was a point arising out of this one, MP. I know we've only got a few minutes left in the show, um, was the announcement, surprise announcements, that uh, SRO are going to rejig the driver rankings for 2023. I know it's Chris Ward who said they're resetting driver rankings. This is the first step towards streamlining to three levels, pro, pro, am, am. was this SRO being SRO doing what the heck they want. I'll be blunt. I think they're right to look at it. I think everybody should have looked at it, and I think they're pushing the button because they're frustrated that others haven't. I do expect to see other changes in that marketplace, and some of them could be very quick indeed. There is a difficulty from the uh, LMEM ACO point of view because, of course, they're in partnership with the FIA, who produced the driver rankings um, for the WEC, but there is a growing level of how could I put this anxiety in the industry oddly enough it was silver that was causing the major problem previously MP it's now bronze and in particular the bronze marketplace being uh, being kind of uh, messed with by this rule that very young drivers in their first season can be a bronze and we've got this this glut at the moment in the Michelin Among Cup of 16 year old whiz kids who've come straight out of carts and are blindingly quick so I think we're going to hear and see more on this issue in the coming days and weeks. I uh, wouldn't be remotely surprised if we got some answers to questions that I certainly will be asking at Portimao uh, next weekend um, and for what it's worth I think this is one where SRO should be congratulated on lancing that boil because it's been a problem for too darn long and the fia of i'm afraid sat on the hands and done not a lot about it
0: um why don't i take uh two here related to joey hand and then uh okay. maybe pick one from fun to say farewell uh grant stouter says so based on what we saw at the nascar roval in charlotte can we downgrade joey hand to a silver since the nascar community was convinced uh, he was an amateur for daring to race a playoff driver um what does the r nascar stand for again uh well yeah race. uh curtis salzman also says any information on joey hand do you see him landing a gt3 factory uh landing a gt3 ride or factory ride next year not sure about next year uh curtis grant great point for those who didn't watch uh our man joey hand did indeed Uh, do his very first NASCAR race. Uh, Didn't go as well as he had hoped, but uh, their format of no practice, no qualifying, go straight into the race, meant his first lap of competition. His first uh, timed lap in the car was lap one of the race. So uh, wee bit of a challenge how they do things, Graham. But the bigger thing to take home, and I don't have any real firm insights on this but there's something that we should not be silly and ignore joey's been training nascar drivers helping to get them good -er or when it comes to road courses and those would be ford nascar drivers so joey no big surprise part of the ford gt factory program that ran in gtlm that won a class at 24 hours of lamont etc joey being a long-term member of the the ford racing community even though he has not had anything factory wise to race over the last year or two since ford pulled out of gtlm he has remained connected to them has lent his talents from a simulator and overall training standpoint on the nascar side to make their uh, ford's nascar drivers better in road racing i would just have to believe that He's not doing all this in vain and that there's hopefully something coming here in the future, Ford and sports car related that would fit quite well for him. That just makes me think Curtis that do I see him landing in a GT three thing next year? I don't know of anything coming from Ford next year. So it'd make me think uh, maybe he's able to find something hopefully to keep himself ticking along competition wise. But yeah i do wonder if there's something meant for joey in the blue oval here a little more direct on track based here uh, in the coming years uh why don't we uh i'm not even going to break it off into a separate section graham why don't you pick a fun and take it and then we will say farewell
1: Right, well, it's uh, oddly enough, it's one that uh, could just as easily come your way as the one I'm going to take, and it comes from Jamie. He's a first-time question asker. Hi, Jamie. Uh, Hope you all two are doing well. I am. I believe you are too, uh, MP. I'll be attending my first IMSA event for Petit Le Mans next month. Excellent. Anything to know before I go. Things to do at the track, food to try. It'll be first time at Road Atlanta as well. Right, I'd like you to answer part of this as well, but I'll tell you this much. Road Atlanta, one of my favourite, Racetracks in the world to go and watch race cars trackside in the spectator areas. It is a brilliant place to be able to watch race cars. You can get close. You get great viewing, uh, viewing from the uh, from a number of different corners, and you can walk around the entire track. Uh, and I'd urge you to do that. That's one of the great things about the length of time that you've got with uh, particular mon. Is there's time to do that and do that pretty easily so please do get around the track make sure you get as close as you possibly can particularly if it's five six looking down uh onto the cars that's a great place to actually watch race cars and see what they do and how they how they perform uh, differently you can get the idea of the speed down that back straight, uh, down towards the final chicane and then there's some great viewing of that final chicane and there's always drama there always drama there um Great stuff. As for what to eat, don't eat any of the food. None of the food. Don't drink any of the drink. Take take it all yourself. Get it all from your local, uh, your local convenience store, and just eat. You know, marshmallows and cracker jacks. I think is what you go for. Unless you're going to tell me different, MP.
0: Eat everything at the track. Yes. <laughs> Map out the bathroom <laughs> locations first, Jamie. That's what I'm recommending. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of good food there, but biggest recommendation is one of mindset and preparation it is not a grand stand track there are some locations where you can indeed sit uh, on something that they put there intending for you to sit on but there's not a lot of them it really is a walk around make your own spectating experience happen type track and so that's the the overall mindset to bring with you uh the hey i'm just gonna walk in and and assume that there's a full infrastructure to meet all of my needs Uh, and it's not one of those types of tracks where you're catered to uh at every step so bring a folding chair bring i don't know what the weather will be but sometimes it rains and when it rains it seriously rains so Keep an eye on that. It can be crazy downpour time, but it is very much of a walk around, see it all, but be prepared to plant down your chair. Um, if you want umbrella, bring an umbrella, bring some drinks, bring whatever it is, but it is a place to go and watch from many, many corners and to make your own viewing experience, not one that they have waiting for you at various uh Uh, laid out uh, grandstands and whatnot so that's the first thing and that's a great thing i would say another thing to keep in mind although there are i think little trams that go up the hill uh, to bring you up towards the paddock and whatnot it is a walking facility and there are some hills so if you are lean and just ready to hike mountains you're going to have no problem uh, if you're not, then you can afford it. Get in early and try and rent a golf cart because lots of great places to go and see. You're going to be doing a lot of hills and a lot of walking to get there. But again, that's all part of the charm and allure. Maybe the last thing I'd mention, if you love photography or if you just have a, a mild interest in it, bring a camera. Bring a real camera with you, whatever you've got and enjoy because there are tons of places where you can take some excellent photos standing right behind the pro photographers, for example. A lot of areas where, again, you'd be surprised at how high quality the imagery uh, happens to be from those just fans and amateurs with whatever camera that they brought, something with a little bit of a zoom lens uh, in most places you might end up. It's pretty cool that way, man. Like, really, it's great having photo access as, as a pro, but it's not one of those tracks where, like, if I just showed up as a fan and forgot to ask for credentials and just had to buy a general admission ticket and brought my camera gear with me, I'd be going home pretty happy, Jamie, with what I got. Again, a couple places where, of course, couldn't get to because I didn't have the right credentials and whatnot, but it's not the type of place where you would suffer Really, in any way, by just being able to use whatever camera you got at home to uh, bring home some fun images. So, uh, I think you're going to love it. Uh, would just recommend if you really want the full experience, get in early. Um, it tends to to load up pretty quickly. Parking can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge. If you're able to get, you know, some uh, inside motorhome type parking or whatever else again i don't know what all those options are because i've never been there just as a fan but just be prepared to get there a little bit early but uh, also bring a map print out a map do something so that you can you know have a good understanding of where you are and where the corners are so you can go out and get to them not many places to close here graham not many places outside of the track to do viewing as they come down the hill hang the hard right and either go into pit lane or go down the front straight. There is some spectating you can do there on the yep. outside. Just a And granted before they, uh, when they come down the, uh, the back straight, come down the hill and break do the uh, it's not really a chicane, but do the uh, left, right, and then peek over the hill and go down the hill towards start finish and the bridge there. Uh, you can view a little bit from the outside there, but again, and for the most part, you're going to do most of your viewing from the inside so just bring a little map with you print it out have it on your phone whatever it might be and just uh put a lot of x's on there things you want to go see i think you're going to be very very happy knowing that you also have night practice some cool glowing breaks to see you know it's a really really cool weekend
1: yeah, particularly the night race, uh, the night uh, running. It's uh, uh, if it's your first IMSA race, likely it is. That's the first time you'll have seen uh, cars running in the dark, and these things look fantastic in the dark. Do not go before the end of the race, because Petit Le Mans always produces drama right at the end. And that MP is the last of the dramas, at the very end of this edition of the weekend sports cars. We're going to thank you. Um, all of you for listening in and for those of you that sent in questions keep doing it because we love seeing them thanks again to Daniel Summerskill for putting those questions together for us uh, this week, we will be doing so next week as well, uh, thanks to you Marshall Pruitt for giving up the time, thanks to me for being just me, uh, what yeah. can I say we're going to say thank you most of all though to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers and to torontomotorsports.com This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pirate Podcast family, and we will see you next week.